Chapter 45 The Prison Ship Yanai Iravathurai passed in the blink of an eye in its hurried wake flitted back the trees of the forest the birds of the jungle ponds lakes habitations temples mandapams everything everything seemed to simply leap back in a flash and vanish into oblivion an intrepid herd of deer tried to keep pace with the runaway elephant for a while but was defeated and soon retired from the lists the massive pachyderm however simply kept storming forward forward endlessly trampling through the foliage and soon pungurali lost track of the distance or even hours it did she noticed still seemed to be within the confines of iranade much to her considerable surprise by this time it ought to have made a complete circuit of the entire island at least thrice or so it seemed to the stunned girl wait this enormous pachyderm isn't just talking through ilangai it's tramping through the very earth from the southern end to the north i'm flying round and round bulogam on its back and so is the prince it was true that tendrils of terror wrapped around pungurali for the first few moments the elephant began to rampage through the forest the experience was new to her and there was the added panic of not knowing what exactly was about to happen the prince however turned around twice or thrice to smile at her and she felt her trepidation and reluctance evaporate soon the last of her terror disappeared and exhilaration of a kind she'd never experienced before a thrill of ecstasy enveloped her she swayed atop the majestic madagajam but only for a while within moments somehow she'd left behind the dull tedious earth and found herself in heaven now she was seated in state upon devendran's incredibly regal airavadam his famed white elephant and was taken in a majestic procession through sky lanes the eternal karpaga trees showered divine flowers upon her while celestial beings such as gandharvas followed her train strumming their legendary instruments and sprinkling exquisitely musical notes in the air beautifully dressed and ornamented apsara women danced around her while the heavenly avenue fairly dazzled with row upon row of brilliant lamps on both sides and thus did many eons pass why now airavadam seemed to be slowing down and somehow it seemed to have descended to the earth in iranade to tell the truth for the mahout was leaning over and patting its broad smooth forehead whispering sweet nothings into its chiche this was no ordinary mahout it was the very lord of the gods himself devendran wait no this was the prince wasn't it the elephant came to a juddering halt by the side of a pretty pool ringed with dense trees and stood still pungurali now in full possession of her senses peered at the opposite banks considerably worried had a welcoming party of villagers appeared here as well ready to shatter the silence and dare it be said her happiness but no there was nothing she looked behind to see if the cavalry was at their heels but there wasn't even the slightest scuffle of a hoof she turned to stare at the serene pond every single fragrant alli and sengarneer flower upon the surface simply unearthed itself flew up and surrounded her stems vines and all they crept up at her shoulders nuzzling and caressing her blooming cheeks delighting in her embrace and then those wicked flowers went a step further their vines wound themselves around her slender finger almost crushing her in their soft grasp suffocating her with their sweet 
overpowering scent. With a mighty wriggle, Pungurali cast off their smothering kindness. The vines and flowers fell apart. The next instant, it seemed as if she had tumbled and fallen headfirst to the ground, for the elephant bent its forelegs first, then its hind legs, and finally sank to the forest floor. The prince hopped off the mount's neck. Well, Pungurali, he grinned up at her. Don't want to get down yet, do you? Pungurali came to her senses, even as her body quivered. It's no easy task coming down to earth from heaven, is it, Aya? She mumbled as she descended with reluctance. The elephant rose again and lumbered off to one of the trees by the poolside, breaking off a luscious branch and stuffing it into its gaping maw. Arulmuri Varmar, for his part, strolled to the banks and sat down. He looked up at Pungurali, shy and hesitant, and bade her to take a seat by him. The still waters reflected Pungurali's flushed face which, already crimsoned with her recent exertions and her heart's tumult, now seemed to rival the beautiful Sengarinir flowers in its exquisite fresh colour. I really do like you, daughter of the oceans, said the prince slowly, gazing at her vivid image in the gently rippling waters. The white and red lilies whose ardour seemed to have subsided somewhat now rose up all over again and smothered Pungurali with petal-soft kisses. Do you know why? he continued. Sky, earth, pool and flowers whirled and twirled in a mind-numbingly glorious dance before her dazed eyes. Everyone I know wants me to be a puppet manipulated by their strings, the prince explained. You're the only one happy to carry out my wishes. Rest assured that I shall never forget Samudra Kumari. Miraculously, Pungurali's figure transformed into a musical yar, her nerves into its slender strings. Golden hands touched the delicate instrument and strummed the strings. Exquisitely lovely notes dipped in honey wafted through the air. The Senadipati and Parthibendrar used every weapon in their arsenal to stop my journey. You saw how the commander tried to throw every obstacle he could think of in my way, even sending word to villagers in advance and preparing welcome parties. As for Parthibendrar, he's flown hotfoot to Tirukonmalai, planning, no doubt, to get to his ship and reach the mouth of Tondaiman River before us. Ah, they think I'm unaware of their plots and schemes, mused the prince. But I've managed to outwit them all with your aid. And then, suddenly, Pungurali felt as though Yama's envoys had made it their personal mission to drag her down to hell and crush her alive in a press, for she realized the enormity of what she had just done. They did nothing but try and help you escape your foes, Aya, but I, this miserable wretch that I am, she began to sob. All I've done is deliver you into prison. Adede, I've been entertaining the highest opinion of you so far, Pungurali. But you're just the same as them. And they were right. I wouldn't have done what I did of my own accord. Your pretty speeches turned my head and made me. But I've come to my senses now. I'm leaving. Pungurili jumped up. The prince stretched out his hand and clasped hers gently in a bid to stop her. The celestial maidens of the heavens did not seem to have much to do at that moment, it seemed except to blend the wonderfully fragrant essence of sandalwood with lustrous moonbeams and sprinkle a few scented drops on Pungurali. Her legs lost their strength. She quivered and sank down almost bonelessly, unable to do anything else. 
Then she covered her face with her hands and began to sob. I wish to tell you something important, Samudra Kumari. But if all you are going to do is weep, there is nothing to be done but continue our journey. She brushed away her tears at once and looked at him expectantly. There's a good girl. Now, you were right when you said they wanted to help me escape imprisonment. But do you know their motive? They adore you, of course, and would do anything to protect your sacred person. I am the demon who... Patience, my girl. Of course they adore me. And do you know why? Some astrologers and palmistry experts seem to have had nothing to do but make dazzling predictions. Apparently, someday, I shall become an emperor. And so, they wish to dump me on a throne, all of them, and stick a crown on my head. Those rapacious schemers. And why mustn't they, Aya? Forgive me, but I fail to see why it shouldn't be so. For you deserve to rule not just this, but all the three worlds as the supreme emperor. Ah, you echo their sentiments too, my girl. Listen to me, and listen carefully, Pungureli. There is no greater prison in this world than a royal palace, no more dangerous sacrificial altar than a throne, and no punishment more terrible than wearing a crown all your life. The others wouldn't have understood this, but you, I believed, would be an exception. Pungurili's exquisite eyes fluttered like a delicate, beautiful butterfly's wings. She gazed at the prince out of limpid, wide eyes. The truth now, Pungurili. If someone forced you to stay chained to a throne all your life, would you submit? The prince demanded. She considered this seriously for a moment. No, she said finally, her tone ringing with decision. Well then, why do you wish me to undergo such a stringent punishment? But you're a royal. What of it? Thankfully, God in his infinite mercy spared me the harrowing burden of kingship. There's my older brother, heir and crown prince, not to mention the son of my uncle, who has an eye on the throne himself. Ah, Pungurili exclaimed. That's come to your ears, has it? Well, really, you didn't imagine that I'd remain in blank ignorance of such a development, did you? The Tanjavur throne is certainly in no danger of disintegrating without an occupant. Not to mention that the last thing I want is to wear a crown and govern a land. Pungurili gaped at him. What is it that you wish for then? Now that's the question I've been waiting for, and I shall tell you. What I should love beyond anything is to trample through endless forests and jungles on a majestic elephant like a gale force, Sandamardam, just like we did now. I should like to sail the vast seas on ships to climb the tallest mountains. Do you know, I've heard tales of islands and huge landmasses just like Ilangai and our own Bharatagandam beyond these oceans. I'd like nothing better to visit them all and gaze upon their marvels. Pungurali listened to this effusion, open-mouthed, as though she would devour each word. Aya, she cut in, when her eagerness threatened to consume her. Will you take me with you on all these journeys? I hope in vain, Pungurali. These are just my paltry wishes, sighed the prince. As to whether there's any chance of them coming true, who can say? These words served to drag her to the real world, as it were. If that's the case, Aya, why do you wish to go to Tanjavur now? I began to answer that question when you changed the subject and we wandered all over the place talking of other things. Now, the prince paused. 
There's a woman on this island, Samudra Kumari, who doesn't possess the ability to speak and who roams here and there like one deranged. Do you know her? Pungurli sat up astonished. I do, your highness, but why do you ask? That you shall know later. Answer this. How and what do you know of her? I lost my own mother in infancy, Aya. I knew something of a mother's love only at her kind, affectionate hands. She's my guru, my god. What else do you wish to know about her? Does she have a home? Some place that is a permanent abode? Her vasasthalam? Or does she spend her life thus wandering like the restless wind? There's an island called Bhudhattiva with a small rock cave as you approach Ilangai from the direction of Kodikare. This is a habitual dwelling place. In fact, that's where I saw you first. What are you talking about? The truth. My lady has drawn a few excellent paintings inside the cave. And I saw your likeness in a few of them. In fact, that was why I was stunned when I saw you in Kodikare. I see it all now. Wonder of wonders. Things that never made much sense to me now seem clear. Do you know of the bond that exists between me and this lady, Samudra Kumari? Some such thing I suspected, Your Highness, Pungulili admitted. But I am unaware of the nature of your relationship. She is my stepmother, the lady who by rights ought to be seated on the throne of Tanjavur. By all gods, truly? And yet, who may guide the hands of fate? No one can do anything, that's the truth. For some time now, I have known that my father harbored some secret, a grievous sorrow that ate at him. And finally, I realized the truth. He has been laboring under the misapprehension that my stepmother is dead, and worse, at his own hands. And it has now fallen upon me to divulge the truth. That she is very much alive, that should soothe his wounded heart and perhaps go some way towards assuaging his horrible affliction. You know, of course, that he is very ill. This life of ours is a transient one. No one can predict what might happen at any moment. There's a comet glowering in the sky now of all things, setting up a whole flurry of rumours and conjectures, none of which are doing my father any good. This makes it all the more imperative for me to tell them my discovery. And this, Samudra Kumari, is why I have to go to Tanjai as soon as I possibly can. Now do you see how valuable your aid has been? Pungurili, who had been listening avidly to his speech, now heaved a great sigh. Dear God, she murmured, why must you thrust so much joy and sorrow into one paltry lifetime? Then she turned to the prince. That this witless servant has been of some little service to you, is the result of a thousand penances in previous lives, your highness. But, forgive my asking, why was my help necessary? Surely the Senadipati and the others, if told this truth, might have been able to assist you even better. The answer is that I didn't. Wish to tell them the truth, I mean. To men whose only ambition is to set me on the Tanjay throne somehow, details such as these would hardly count. Besides, this is a part of my father's personal life and the last thing I want is to lay the facts bare for their edification. Not that they'd have understood it, even if I had. But stay, daughter of the oceans. There's something else I need from you. Which was why I halted the elephant here anyway. The great men who prophesied my rise to kingship, the astrologers I mean, 
also foretold a great many perils and dangers that would threaten my life. Should something of that nature hinder my journey, should I find myself unable to meet my father, you must seek an audience with him somehow and make sure that he knows that my stepmother is alive. And if he should so wish it, make arrangements for him to meet her. You must be the one to take her to him. Will you do this for me, Pungurali? Nothing shall stop you, your highness. As for those petty perils, why, they'll take to their heels in your presence. You'll reach Tanjavur just as you wish. Promise me anyway, in case something does happen. Certainly, your highness. You know that I couldn't have entrusted such an important secret to just anyone, don't you? Fair enough. You've assigned me my task and now, I suppose, my usefulness is at an end. Pungurali's voice was laced with the tears that started in her eyes. Permission to take my leave, your highness? What's all this nonsense about desertion when we haven't even reached the mouth of the Tondaiman River yet? Or sighted the Chora vessels come for me? Pray be patient. Curb your anger and climb into the elephant once more. Bear with my presence just a little. You're free to go where you please once we have caught sight of the ships bearing the tiger flags. Without a word, Pungurali rose and began to walk slowly towards the elephant. So did the prince. The massive animal bent in obedience to his whispers. They clambered upon its back, and though it did not rampage through the forest as before, the pace was swift. I mentioned some of the things I like doing best, Samudra Kumari. The prince began to roll the ball of conversation. Shouldn't it be your turn now? Yama's mount, the buffalo, is my favorite animal, and climbing to the top of boulders in the dead of the night to watch flickering Koldivai ghouls is such a treasured pastime that I usually lose track of time. You're a strange girl. You know that, don't you? Call me a lunatic rather, like your friend did. It wouldn't bother me. As for the other things I like, well, sailing in my little boat endlessly, especially if there's a storm about. Oh, I am deliriously happy when gale force winds attack my craft, taking it right up to the skies one moment, crashing it down to the Pathalam the next. There's nothing I love best. In fact, our elephant's rampage through the forest reminded me of my adventures in the sea, and I've never been more ecstatic. <laughs> if Murugaparman had mounted a quest to win your smile, my girl, he'd have lost the battle even before he began. <laughs> Chuckled the prince. None of the tactics he used to win Balli, setting a wild elephant to scare her out of her wits, would have worked on you at all. Oh! Screeched Pungurili as they approached the mouth of the Tondaiman River. What's this? What? Demanded the prince eagerly. What is it? The ships with the tiger flags aren't where I saw them, she moaned. You're bound to think the worst of me, and to think that the Senadipati's doubts are about to be seen as the truth. Oh, everyone's going to suspect me of having brought you out here on a pretense. I certainly won't be among their number, the prince said firmly. There's no reason for you to lie so atrociously and drag me all the way here. No motive. Isn't there, your highness? It could be love, couldn't it? A foolish girl could have fallen for the charms of one praised as Manmadan for his beauty and Arjunan for his valour, and indulged in a fantasy, couldn't she? Such a far-fetched suspicion might occur to the Senadipati if he were here, but you and I, my girl, are far too sensible to entertain even the idea 
of such an idiotic fable. Forgive me, Aya, but would those be your sentiments about a certain female of the warrior clan dwelling in the Padayare royal palace? A princess called Vanidhi Devi? Indeed, yes. I haven't forgotten her, nor the many schemes the Senadipadi and my sister are weaving to somehow bind us both. Perhaps the hapless girl cherishes some desire of ascending the Chora throne herself. Be that as it may, I am not responsible for the ambitions of others, the prince snapped. Now, Pungureli, where were the ships when you last saw them? There, at that end, she pointed. How could I forget? Well, that might not be a problem. The ships could have drifted a little away, the prince reassured her. No harm in walking down to the shore and making sure. Good riddance to bad rubbish if they are gone, Pungureli shrugged. Why on earth must we hunt for them? Those may be your sentiments, but no one would be more disappointed than I if that were true. The prince said briskly. Three hundred years ago, Manavanman, the prince of Ilangai, had sought refuge in Kanchipuram. Mamalla Chakravarti, then the Pallava emperor, had sworn to restore his lands and sent a large army accordingly. Those hordes had landed on the island at this spot. The so-called Tondaiman River had been only a small pond at that time. The army had immediately deepened and widened it for the accommodation of the large numbers obliged to make camp, and in due course of time, the pond had turned into the Tondaiman River. The many curves it sported at its mouth, coupled with the dense trees nestling along its banks, made it convenient for large ships to lie concealed from the prying eyes of those on sea. It was in one of these lagoons, where the river widened enough for ships to lie anchored, that Pungurali caught sight of those sent to imprison the prince. But they were not there now. In other words, the sails and standards that might have given away the vessels were absent. But what they saw when they approached the site seemed even more unbelievable. A ship seemed to have moved away from deep water and sunk in the muddy quagmire just adjacent. Its sails and flags hung in a tattered mess. There was no sign of men anywhere. Pungurali immediately recognized it as one of the two she had seen two days ago. She sank into astonishment at the realization that a ship sent to imprison the prince now lay imprisoned in a marshy bog. 